0: So if you'll join me in welcoming Joe Tech, you into the pulpit. Hello, everyone.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Jung.
0: I realize that there is somewhat of a different effect uh,
1: from a message coming from somebody that's not necessarily a vocational pastor um, that it seems to speak to uh, people that are in the same boat as I am, which is I'm a working lay professional um, trying to figure out family, life, career, all of these things. Um, And so that's the kind of perspective I'm coming to you from. As well as, I like to talk about things that are tough topics for pastors to talk about, especially things like money. Um, because a pastor, it's kind of a, a, a bit of a catch-22 for them to talk about money and tithing and all these things. For me, you know, I have a full-time job, so if you don't like this, it's not like I'm gonna get fired from my job. So, um, I mean, I might, but for different reasons. Um, so I, I tend to just speak a little bit more openly about those things. So if you have your Bibles, um, we'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and the title of this message is Rediscovering Our Eternal Treasure, Rediscovering Our Eternal Treasure. And am I progressing these slides, or is is somebody, oh, you, okay, great, it's fancy. All right, Matthew 6, starting from verse 19. or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, If we could pray before we begin. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for your loving grace and this uh, beautiful uh, fall afternoon. Uh, Lord, we just pray that as we study your scriptures here, that you would open up our hearts, our minds, that you would remind us that our time on this earth is temporary and that as we have this short time on this earth, Lord, our Our calling by you is to live for your kingdom, for your glory, and really to live for ourselves in the sense of live for our eternities, to remind ourselves that that our true life is eternal life, and that our true home is heaven above, and help us to live on this earth as sojourners, understanding our role, understanding what our mission is, and speak to us a little bit more about that through the scriptures today. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... um. As Pastor Jung mentioned, my name is Joe. Um, Joe Tech is my middle name, but people sometimes call me Joe Tech. You just call me Joe. Um, call me Hey, whatever you want to call me. Um, I'm married to, uh, the next picture, my wife, uh, Limi. Um, she's the one that looks like an adult. And um, <laughs> I have uh, two do- Hopefully she looks like an adult. Oh, uh, two daughters, Lydia, who's five, um, and Mary, who is three. And then I just had a son two months ago. Uh, His name is Christian, as you can see. He's not the stuffed doll, but he is the Korean. And um, (laughs) I am at the University of Illinois. I think we have a picture of my campus. Uh, The greatest university in the world. Uh, Maybe next to the University of Minnesota, maybe. Uh, You have definitely a better football team than us. Um, And and I don't list this out to to, uh, promote myself, uh, but I'm gonna list out my degrees. Uh, because I want to prove that I'm a true Asian. Uh, But uh, I have an undergraduate in computer science. Um, My master's was actually in advertising and social psychology, and then my doctorate uh, was in informatics, specifically taking computer science and um, applying those methods to the field of advertising, so thus computational advertising. Um, And then I also have a master's of arts in ministry leadership. And I am a professor at the U of I, Uh, now actually in the College of Business. Um, That's a a long story that I'll kind of sprinkle throughout this message. But um, what has been my most major passion and one of the major reasons as to why I'm actually at the University of Illinois is not because of any of that, but it is because of the next picture, which is my youth group. Um, I started uh, leading this youth group almost by accident 15 years ago. Um, It was three students at that time, and now we're at about 90 to 100 uh, students in our youth group. And um, it's been a passion of my life. I I pray that it will be, um, they will allow me to serve the youth as long as possible. I always say that I'm probably, at least within the Asian American realm, uh, one of the longest tenured uh, youth pastors there are out there. But I also grew up in Chicago, um, next picture, uh, as a poor immigrant uh, kid. My father had a chemistry degree from uh, Korea University, which is a very prestigious university in Korea but unrecognized in America especially at that time. And so my father worked at a gas station. He worked uh, pumping gas uh, while he basically had to do school all over again um, after coming from Korea while learning English. And I remember as I was growing up, um, I never had anything new. And everything that I had, I don't know if some of you can relate with this, maybe um, I realize now this younger generation has kind of had a different, a uh, little bit more affluent childhood. Um, but for those of us that grew up in my generation, we were all like this. And everything was a hand-me-down from Korea. Our clothes, like they did not have any sort of American style or branding. It's something like BYC are the only letters that, that seemed American on them. Um, and I just dreamed that someday I would have money, just to be honest. And so my my role model at that time was a picture of this next man, uh, Bill Gates. He was the richest person in the world at that time. He's still one of the richest people in the world at that time, and I actually respect him now for the greater good that he's doing for this this earth, to humankind. Um, But I just thought to myself, okay, if I'm gonna get out of this hole, if my family's gonna get out of this hole that we're in, I gotta be like this man. And this man was all about computers, and thus I must become all about computers. Now, this was actually not something I know that if if some of us have grown up in the Asian culture, there's kind of this pressure from the parents, but this was actually pressure from within myself. I'm generally a pretty driven person, and I told myself I had to become the next Bill Gates, but the Korean version and the cool version. That's what I thought. I was like, I want to be cool Korean Bill Gates. You know, recently I saw this movie, Crazy Rich Asians, I'm, I'm guessing some of you have seen this movie, and I had this kind of, um, you know, this moment during the, this, this epiphany during the movie when I was, as I was watching it. I was like, wait a second. And if you've seen this movie, it's just like kind of, it's really nice because it actually pictures Asians not as, as like these, it pictures Asians in a new light. <laughs> um, you know, whether or not, we're not talking about like Christianity, but we're talking about, you know, people that are cultured, people that are, you know, advanced and, 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 and et cetera and, and, and wealthy. And I remember as I was watching this movie, I was like, wait a second, like, this is who I wanted to be. This is what I wanted my life to look like when I was, when I was growing up. So I, I kind of had that track as I was growing up. I, I, I told myself even when I was like in fifth grade, I forget the exact grade, but I said I'm gonna major in computer science, which I did, and I'm gonna become a computer person, and I'm gonna make millions or billions of dollars. The big idea of this sermon, um, the one sentence that encapsulates what we're going to talk about today through this, through this uh, passage is this idea. What we treasure defines who we serve, and who we serve defines our eternity. What we treasure defines who we serve, and who we serve defines our eternity. And my treasure growing up was wealth. My treasure was money. My treasure was achievement, success. But what you treasure, absolutely, as we see in this passage, defines the rest of our lives, but not just here on this earth, but the rest of our lives in eternity. And how we'll pick apart or break apart this passage is through three points, because every good sermon has three points. Um, And those three points are what can we treasure, how can we know what we treasure, and why does it matter what we treasure? So um, usually I'm the one that's progressing the slides, and I cannot multitask, actually, psychologically, we know that nobody can multitask. But in any case, um, so there's only gonna be like one other slide. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's okay if you don't take notes or whatnot. Um, I just apologize that there won't be like a slide per point and and whatnot. Um, So let's begin with what can we treasure. In verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Um, There's a lot going on here, but I just want to point out uh, a word choice that Jesus uses here. And that specific word choice is the word treasure. It says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. It does not say something like, do not lay up for yourself extreme amounts of money here on earth, or cars, or houses. It says treasure. Now, um, you, know, you might think to yourself, if, if you've gotten somewhat accustomed to studying the Bible, oh, maybe it's something that's lost in the original text and the, the translation from Greek just kind of awkward, and so the English translator, translator is called a treasure, but in the Greek it says money. No, this is a fairly um, solid representation of the original text, which is, it says treasures. It, it uses this generic term. Jesus doesn't say money. He says treasure. So what is a treasure? Dictionary.com suggests that a treasure is a very valuable object. But What is value? <laughs> What is valuable to one is not valuable to another, and vice versa. Value is in the eye of the beholder. Thus, what I am suggesting here is that all of us have different treasures. It's subjective. We can treasure anything. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous pastor and commentator, suggests this. Our Lord is concerned here not so much about our possessions, but as to our attitude towards our possessions. He says, there's nothing wrong in having wealth in and of itself, But what can be very wrong is a person's relationship to his or her wealth. It might not be money. It might be husband. It might be wife. It might be children. And if I may add, it might be career. It might be block that I live on, the house that I live in, et cetera, et cetera. It might be the relationships I have. It might be how popular I am. We can treasure anything. And anything is not necessarily bad unless we treasure it. Uh, My senior pastor uh, suggests this, don't let your contentment depend on situations that can change people's happiness in in this world depends on their health, wealth, and things that they possess. That's storing treasure on earth. This passage says that we can treasure many things, but the only treasure that is eternally permanent in which moth and rust cannot destroy and that no thief can steal is what? It's God. God is the only treasure that is constant, eternal, consistent, that is worth it. Jesus is definitely talking about what is worth it here. Everything about God, everything from God, it will never change. Our salvation in Christ will be never taken away. Our hope in eternal glory and joy will never change. His full availability to us day in and day out if we desire to meet with him and find our ultimate joy in him will never change. But instead, we as sinful human beings, we treasure everything else. We treasure everything else besides God. And we can treasure anything. A couple of years ago, um, I attended this auction for the first time in my town. And it was a very un- unusual auction. One of my quirks is that I love, I don't know if it's a quirk, but it's, it's a hobby of mine or an interest of mine is I love aquatic life. I loved to study it. When I was a kid, I was into computers, yes, but I was also into just understanding taxonomies of fish and, and anything that lived in the ocean or lakes or rivers or streams, anything that lived in bodies of water. And so, all throughout my life, I've kept fish tanks, I've kept saltwater tanks, I've built reef systems. You know, I've done the whole thing. I've done, I've done a coral reef in my house and then it cracked and then my wife was really mad because it was like 200 gallons of water, salt water, on the ground in our home. That was not good. So right now I don't have a tank because of that um, situation. But two years ago, I attended the Champaign. so I live in University of Illinois, Champaign Urbana, so Champaign's one of the cities, kind of like Minneapolis, St. Paul. Champaign. I attended the Champaign Area Fish Auction for the first time. Not like sushi fish, like aquarium fish, okay? And this is where various aquarium hobbyists get together and we auction off our fish and fish supplies to one another talking about fish food, fish nets, right? Fish tanks, little, you know, decorations for your fish tanks. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I've never heard of an auction like this. So I got there and what I found, first thing that I found was that I was the only one that was under the age of 70. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was very old, but everybody was very excited. And when I saw that they were excited, I got very excited. And um, I didn't come prepared. I, I didn't know what to expect. So I, you know, but everybody else brought all of their fish gear, right, their fish bling. And then, they actually hired a real auctioneer. And this real auctioneer went up to the front, and we were auctioning off. It was kind of like eBay, but in person, people were auctioning off their fish stuff. But you have to understand, I mean, just like when you go to Petco or Walmart fish section, I mean, this stuff is not expensive, right? The auctions would start off at, we have this fish net for 25 cents. It'd be like, 25 cents, right? Do we have 30? Do we have 30 cents? 30 cents, right? And somebody gets to like $3, they're like, oh my goodness, $3, (laughs) right? I don't know if I can handle that. And I spent a full 10 hours, 10 hours, my friends, at this auction and I enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed every minute of it, watching old people auction off their fish stuff to each other. (laughs) And I came home with my bucket of fish things that I'd spent a total of like $10.50 on and it was a bucket. And I told my wife, I said, Limi, my wife's name's Limi, I said, Limi, I had one of the most fun days in ministry, you don't have that much fun, you know. I <laughs> one of the most fun days today. And she looked at me, and she's like, you are lame. <laughs> You're such a dork, I think that's what she said. But, 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 you know, this is kind of a silly example, but, you know, we really, as human beings, we can treasure anything. It can be the most obscure things, but it can become our obsessions. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's not zeroing in on, he's saying money is bad you know, being really wealthy, because nowadays, especially in societal, cultural, you know, norms and values and and, and, um, evaluations of in-group and out-group that we have in our society that we're like, okay, rich people are bad. No. What Jesus is saying is sin is bad. Idolatry is bad, right? It can happen with money, sure, but it can happen with anything. And so the question of this point was what can we treasure? And the answer is we can treasure absolutely anything. We have to understand that as Christians, is that we can treasure even very weird things like my case. So, okay, this is getting pretty serious. If we can treasure everything and anything, and it's all subjective, different to each and every one of us, then how can we know what we treasure? And that's the second point. And the simple answer is, we need to look at the motivations of our hearts to understand how how we can know what we treasure. We need to look at the motivations of our hearts because it says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I do want to take a step back here because many times we read the Bible, and you know, all of us are intelligent human beings, and, but when we read the Bible, we, we read it like folklore, we don't read it as reality, even though we base supposedly our whole lives upon this book that is supposed to be our greater reality. And so we think about concepts like the heart, and maybe we don't really actually think about what is it really saying when it says the heart? Because we clearly know it's not talking about the anatomical heart when the Bible talks about the heart, right? But what is the Bible talking about when it talks about the heart? If you have an ESV study Bible and the study, study Bible notes, it'll tell you it has something to do with your mind, your thoughts, the seat of your, your being, right? But really, when we talk about it from like an anatomical perspective or a psychological perspective, we're talking about your mind, your brain, what you think about, right? In fact, I've, I've heard many commentators say that in the Old Testament when people turned to stone, you know, we, we think they literally turned to rock, but some suggest that what maybe happened was they had heart attacks, and then you have rigor mortis, but you know, they didn't understand heart, all these things, and so when somebody became like this, they became like stone, right? Um, it's, it's not folklore, right, it's, it's real. So it's saying heart, but then when, when, when Jesus says heart here, we should imme- uh, immediately think about, okay, what am I thinking about? What occupies my mind? What occupies my, my brain? What occupies my life as to my outlook? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, whatever you treasure, you are constantly thinking about it. You are living for it. It is your obsession. That's what it means when we're talking about it's, it's within our hearts. And he's talking about the motivations of our hearts, the desires of our hearts. You know, in Matthew 6, before this passage, Jesus actually talks about these three very spiritual acts, giving, praying, and fasting, giving, praying, and fasting. But all three of these spiritual acts that you do physically, he says this phrase three times, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Why does he say that? He's saying because you can physically give, like we just had offering time. You can physically pray that in ways that people can see. You can actually physically fast in a way that you say, oh, I'm so hungry right now. Why? Oh, because I'm fasting, right? But what God looks at is not the physical, but it's the internal. It's how we're processing it within our minds, which the Bible says it's within our hearts. God sees the motivations in our hearts. Are we giving, praying, and fasting so that other people can praise us? or that we can praise ourselves? Or are we doing it out of love for God? Are we doing it out of the response of grace that we receive from the Lord, and we just want to, to live for him and to know him more? And we just overflow with giving. We overflow with wanting to speak to him and pray. We overflow with fasting because we know that fasting can synergize and, 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 and speed up and, and do something in a very spiritual way to our prayers that will cause movement. And then in verse 22, it says the eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Like Jesus is going back and forth here with this physical anatomy analogy. And so we've got to catch it. We've got to not just kind of like run away from it and say, yeah, I kind of understand it, but I don't understand it. What is he talking about here? He's saying the eye. Well, what do we know about the eye, especially if we think about it historically back then? They at least understood at that time that when you look at something, it affects your whole body. It affects your mind, which was hard for them, right? But it affects everything. So then that's why it says, so if the eye is healthy, right? If the eye is healthy, if the eye is taking in the right things, it's functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning, then your whole body will be full of light. We're talking about spiritual language. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness, Jesus is talking about the fact that what comes in through our eyes physically affects our whole bodies, but in the same way, what comes in through our physical eyes affects our desires within our hearts and our minds, which then affects our whole spiritual lives. How we make decisions of even what to look at or when we look at something, how we process it, all of that, as that transaction happens within us, it affects us spiritually. So if I was just to kind of give like a, Uh, a quick translation of healthy eye and bad eye. I would say healthy eye equals healthy heart, which equals a Christian whose predominant driving desire, because remember we have sin desire within us still as Christians, but a healthy heart, healthy eyed Christian is a Christian whose predominant driving desire in the secret walls of his or her heart is to love God with their whole lives. This is a person whose greatest treasure is God. But a bad eye and an unhealthy heart is a Christian whose predominant driving desire in the secret walls, only God knows, of their heart is to love themselves with their whole lives. This is a person whose greatest treasure is anything else than God that gives them pleasure or minimization of pain while living on this earth. And here's the thing, I exaggerate a lot. Many of us in this room do. do. Jesus, as the Son of God, does not exaggerate. So when Jesus emphasizes things, I think we need to take pause. Look with me in verse 23. It says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then it says this, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Exclamation point. You know, I don't want to try to assume that I knew how Jesus actually acted at this point or what he was thinking but it almost seems like Jesus himself the son of god the creator of all things the one that never gets surprised nothing is profound to Jesus he is he is with he is profundity embodied <laughs> and yet Jesus pauses here and says but if your eye is bad and your whole body is your whole body will be full of darkness and he's saying I think he's speaking to Christians here because he's talking about light and darkness within the same person. If then the light in you is darkness, he's like, wow, how great is that darkness? Almost like this is profound. That a Christian who has the ability to live in the light, that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to him or her, that they can still choose because we have choice in our lives, but if they choose to live for themselves to live for their sin now this is profound now this is profound somebody who has access to the greatest resources in the world but chooses not to access those resources now this is profound how great is the darkness you know unfortunately i do not have an opportunity during this time because <laughs> again speaking one time and 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 didn't know until 2 days ago But uh, I am thinking that um, what has been discussed in this church, has uh, the the topic of the motivations of our hearts has probably been discussed um, sometimes. But I can say that if it hasn't or if it has, many theologians have discussed that the core of our sin as human beings is our desire to be God. I mean, we can prove that all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? We want to be God. We want to be like God. And so as part of being like God, we want to steal his glory. We want to steal... His weight, right, his weightiness, what is deserved of him. And and what does God deserve? God deserves to be loved, fully loved. God deserves to be fully known. God deserves to be fully feared. And God deserves to be fully obeyed. But all of us, within the sinful motivations of our hearts, we try to be our own gods and we try to take those things from God. That I want to be loved, I want to be known, I want to be feared, I want to be obeyed. That is the essence of sin. And Jesus is saying, how profound is that darkness when we live for that? When we let our desires predominantly drive in that direction as Christians, rather than to drive towards living for God's kingdom. Anything. How can we know what we treasure? We've got to look at the motivations of our hearts. So, here's at least a pragmatic question, the third point. Why does it matter what we treasure? So if I was kind of playing the devil's advocate to all this, I'd say, okay, if I can treasure anything and, and um, to understand what I treasure, I need to look at the motivations of my heart. But to be honest, that's hard. It's hard to look into my heart. First of all, what does that even mean? Sounds like a lot of psychology. And then outside of that, what do I get? Because me trying to live for my own pleasure and my own comfort, it's working out so far. So what's my motivation? Why does it matter what we treasure? And of course, the short answer is because it will define our lives. It will define our eternity. And I'm not just talking about something that's like existential. It will define our eternity. No, it will literally define how we live every day of our lives on this earth and have effects for our lives for all of eternity. So point three, why does it matter what we treasure? Verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So previously I said Jesus' word choice said treasure, not money, because we could treasure anything. But now Jesus actually says the word money. And she said, okay, your argument just completely broke down. No, it didn't. Because that is actually an incorrect translation in the English text. The word that's actually there is mammon in the Greek text. And mammon, it it doesn't say mammon because nobody would understand what that word means, although that is an English word. Um, Mammon is possessions of this world, basically anything, right? But how does Jesus talk about this duality or, or kind of dichotomy between God and mammon? He talks about it using slavery language. No one can serve two masters. There are masters at play, right? The Bible tells us that we are actually slaves to our sin, meaning that we have no choice at birth. We are born sinful and we are mastered. We are enslaved by our sins. But who is our master? You know, maybe some of us say, I don't have a master. Our master is our own selves, but we don't control it. Ourselves control, we control ourselves. I know that sounds like contradicting, But I could say that we are all enslaved by our sinful desire within us. And that even when we try not to live to glorify ourselves, we still do. And money, the translation, I mean, obviously these people knew what they were doing when they translated mammon to money. I believe the intent was that kind of money can buy anything, especially possessions of this world. So they just kind of translated it to money to make it more straightforward. (coughs) But money, we know this has become a master in so many people's lives, even for ourselves. Why, because money can buy us whatever we want. We want power, money can buy us power. We want love to an extent money can buy us love. We want respect, we want to be popular, we want to be whatever. Generally money can get us what we want. So money is a master because our sinful desire is a master. And our sinful desire within us enslaves us. But Jesus is saying, that there is another alternative, but it is not freedom in the sense that we think of freedom, which is to have no master. No, the alternative is a different type of slavery. But it's a slavery to a good master because money is not a good master. Ourselves, living for ourselves and to glorify ourselves is not a good master. But rather, living for a heavenly master through a voluntary submission to live for him out of choice, To say, because you are a good father, you are a good master, we will live for you. And how we make this choice every day of our lives, every moment of every day of our lives will ultimately and predominantly drive what we treasure in our our hearts. Do we treasure God? This is not a one decision affects the rest of our life kind of thing. It's an every day we have to make this decision. Am I treasuring God today more than I'm treasuring myself? Am I treasuring God in this moment more than I'm treasuring myself? Even as I preach, I say to myself, am I preaching the word of God because I love God or because I want you all to like me or to think that I'm a great preacher or whatever it may be? At every moment, we have this kind of exchange that's going on in our minds and our hearts. But we are enslaved either by a bad master or a good master. Now, I don't think any of us in this room, I don't think, have any experience with being actually enslaved. But maybe the closest thing that I could think of, I mean, this is, kind of, this is, this is a joke, but... You know, is, is like work, right? <laughs> um, so it, you know, it's, it's not, I say it's a joke because it's obviously, we're talking about very different things. But, um, I've had many different bosses in my life uh, through my career, and um, I don't know about you, for some of you that, that are working professionals, right? Um, having a great boss is great, having a bad boss is bad, (laughs) okay, like it's bad. And so, recently I just switched jobs, and I have a new boss, two months ago I just switched jobs to a different department on campus, a professor of a different uh, college. And she is shaping up to be one of the best bosses I have ever had. Now, I just got hired by the accountancy department, this is really weird, my field is computational advertising. But I just got hired by the accountancy department, some of you if you're in accounting, I feel a little bit closer to you, just a slight bit. Um, I got hired by them because at U of I, apparently, um, they're like one of the best schools, not the best school in the world for accountancy. And so, basically, um, her thinking was to stay on top in this world, especially in this new realm of data science, everything, and my background is effectively data science, she approached me and she said to me, um, Joe, I'd like for you to uh, consider joining us as a professor of accountancy. And her name is Brooke, and I said, Brooke. I'm extremely flattered. Um, and it's the first time meeting her. I said, but um, I just have to be honest with you. I have no idea what accountancy is. <laughs> and she kind of laughed, and I said, um, no, but I'm serious. I said, like, is it taxes? And she's like, no. And then I'm like, I literally then don't know. <laughs> what accountancy is. I mean, it is taxes, but it's not just that. And then she said, well, obviously, we know that you know nothing about accountancy. But we know you know about data science. And data science is basically changing the realm of accountancy. All the big firms are looking for data scientists. And so we thought to ourselves that if we want to stay on top in this world, then we need to start hiring people uh, that have a data science background. Actually, the person that got hired right before me was an astrophysicist, or is an astrophysicist. And so, you know, I wasn't really considering it because I'm just like, the county, I still, I don't, this is weird. But then she gave me the offer letter and I looked at the salary and I said, I will definitely do this. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's true. Uh, but, <laughs> but it would, but it, to me it also, it was also part of my commitment before the Lord that I know God has called me down to stay at Champaign, to be down at my church, CFC, um, and to serve my youth students. Done that for 15 years as a volunteer, and God willing, 15 more years maybe, we'll see. So now I am a data science professor in an accountancy department, but one of the biggest reasons that I joined was because the vision that my department had Brooke has. That she's a visionary leader, she's a good boss. You know, if you've ever had a bad boss or someday some of you that are students, you know, one of the worst characteristics of a bad boss is when they have no vision. They have no idea where they or you or the firm or whatever is going. So every day is different. There's no set goals. So you don't know what direction you're supposed to do your work. So then, therefore, you're never really doing a good job because nobody knows what a good job is. You get what I'm saying? It is actually a horrible, no matter how much they pay you, no matter what, if your boss does not have vision, I tell you right now, think twice about going to that place. But even if it's somewhere that might not have the greatest amount of resources and all of these things, but that boss has vision and you can see a direction, right, of an initiative or whatever it may be, you follow that boss because it's all about vision. I'll tell you this, when we live for the master of sinful desires. Sinful desire has no direction. It has no vision. Yes, it has a direction of sin, but you know, you ever, you have ever like just let your sin lead you? I, you? I, wouldn't recommend it, but you know, you just try it. It goes here, and then you realize, oh, that's not good. Then it goes here, and then it goes here, and then it goes here, and your life just becomes. You're just looking for satisfaction, but of course, nothing satisfied because we were created in the image of God, and the only thing that we are created to be satisfied with is God. And so when we let this sinful desire lead us, it has no vision. It has no straight direction. It goes everywhere. The path is wide. And you end up going nowhere. But yes, the path of Jesus Christ is narrow. It is hard. But God has laser-focused vision. That it is about his kingdom and his glory. And it is about us becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that will never change and our full reward, even though right now the resources seem lacking compared to all the rest of the visions of this world, that it's about the direction that we're going in, and it's about how good our master is. This is what I'm talking about as to why does it matter what we treasure, because that decision, it's kind of like what company you choose to work for and what boss you choose to work for, it makes a big It's a big deal for your career and where it will go. But in the same way, both day to day as well as for our eternity, it makes a big deal whether we choose to follow God's vision or we choose to follow our sinful desire. God as boss is clear as to what he wants, which is our hearts. He has a clear kingdom direction and vision for our lives. And because we are in Christ, here's the other greatest thing about God as our heavenly master. We are always more than good enough to God. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. We are always successful in God's eyes, even though in our eyes we fail. And of course, we fail objectively, but we are washed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ through justification on the cross. And so everything we do is success in Christ. All he asks us to do is follow him, to trust in him. Today's passage is within the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is describing Christians who are meant to be salt and light in this world. And we are in the book of Matthew in which the Great Commission comes from. And of course, Matthew is within the whole of the Bible in which God shows us his kingdom plan, which shows us that the purpose of our lives is to glorify God through participating in his redemptive history for his glory. And that is why it matters what we treasure. We were created for this greater whole, It's something that, at least coming from an Asian heritage, I think somehow we lost as we transitioned into American life, is that my parents' generation, it was about the tribe, it was about the clan, it was about the country. And then somehow we become so individualistic in this Western culture that it's become about myself, and we found that that does not even bring joy in itself, that we've lost our community. And that the Bible's reminding us it's not about ethnicity, it's not about earthly community, because we are all one in Christ, but rather it is about the kingdom of God. To live for something so much greater than just my own story. But to live for the story of God. And that every single one of us have a role and a place in that story. The big idea of this message is what we treasure defines who we serve. And who we serve defines our eternity. I don't know how much time I have. And I have no idea how long I've gone. But again, I wasn't invited. And so <laughs> I'm just going to say a little bit about my life as I close. Um, or at least I wasn't pre-invited, so if if you don't like this, then don't pre-invite me again, then, I guess. Uh, (laughs) um, When I graduated college, 2001, September 11th happened, in 2001, I was a computer science major with an econ background, or a minor, and um, I was blessed with this incredible job opportunity because Wall Street all of a sudden had this big problem because the stock markets shut down after the Twin Towers were hit, and they started realizing, oh my goodness, like we have to start allowing for all of stock trading to actually happen electronically, because this whole paper people system, it'll break down if somebody bombs the, the buildings. And so there was like very few of us that understood computer engineering networking, computer software, and that also could handle socially the environments that are true within um, Wall Street, <laughs> socially. And so I was one of the few, where I worked for the strategy consulting firm, and I worked on Wall Street, and I was making more money than I could imagine. But that was also the time when I found Christ. About two years prior to that, I had come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he changed my purpose. Remember, my purpose was to become Korean, cool, Bill Gates, become baller rich. I don't know if that's his term anymore, but I'm 40 years old. I don't care. (laughs) God changed the purpose and my focus in life, and yet I was still going down this path in which I was kind of baller rich. But then at that time, I was so like, I want to be part of God's work, and, and I, didn't, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I was a new Christian. I grew up in the church, but, you know, I was, I was a really messed up kid, and this was the first time I was actually taking church seriously and the Bible and all these things, and so I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm supposed to be a pastor, because that's what it means to serve God, right? I'm supposed to be a vocational pastor. I'm supposed to be a, a missionary. I, you know, I, I was like, I'm going to go to North Korea. I'm just going to die, right? That's like, that's what I'm going to do, right? Because that's God's work, quote, unquote, and so... After 2 years of praying I want to seek eternal treasure. I don't want to seek earthly treasure. I quit my high paying job. I told the president of my company who thought I was crazy but at the same time she said that she respected my life even though she was not religious. Because they saw that I would even on Wall Street I would pray. I would I would I would go out to the people that were homeless, you know, once Wall Street the market's closed everybody just kind of like ghost town and I'd go to the homeless people and feed them and speak with them. You know, what am I going to do with all this money that I had at that time? I told the president of my company I was I'm going to leave. And she said, why? And I said, I'm going to become a missionary. And she's like, what? <laughs> and she actually told me, she said, you know, I, 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 if, if my opinion matters at all to you, and I said, of course, Linda does. And she said, I think you're making the worst decision of your life, of your career. But then she said this, and, and this, is, this is a side note, but this is a challenge to us all. She said, but I have to tell you that seeing you work, she knew I was a Christian. She said, I have the utmost respect for you and what you're doing in your life. And I quit my job, and the only place that I knew as to where to learn how to be a pastor was CFC, because my sister was there. And so I moved back down to University of Illinois to learn how to do ministry from the only pastor that I knew and the only pastor that I trusted, Pastor Min Chung. So I went from working on complex, high-frequency trading, computational algorithms and systems to a minimum-wage job at Champaign-Urbana, I was stuffing envelopes. They didn't have, like, those machines at that time, so I was folding letters and stuffing the letters into the envelopes. $7.50 an hour. I was making six figures, well into the six figures before. I went from working in Manhattan, living in Manhattan, (laughs) to living on the floor in a a $150-a-month apartment, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in Champaign-Urbana. But I had such joy in my heart. I remember I'd be like... Putting those letters into those envelopes, like, for the Lord, for the Lord. I was was like, you know. And I was so happy. I felt so close to God. Every prayer meeting I went to, my heart was burning. I mean, Jesus is all I saw. But during that period, every year I'd get contacted from these different firms asking me to do work for them. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a missionary. Sorry, I can't do that. They're like, what? And and then, I, you know, well, I, I, I can't leave or urbana I'm like, okay, what if we fly you out of the airport there? Well, I don't know, well, then I, but then I can't do, like, my ministry. And they're like, well, what if you only work 20 hours a... You know, I'm just like, what in the world? Like, stop calling me. And then eventually, after some period of time, my, my own pastor, and you know, we were having dinner once, and he just said to me, he said, you know what, maybe God's not calling you to be a full-time vocational pastor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Right, you're supposed to tell me, I'm, especially you, Pastor men. You're supposed to tell me that I'm supposed to be a pastor. And he said, no, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary to the workforce through your career, because it seems like God's blessed you in that realm. And I've got to be honest with you, I didn't like that answer, because it was, for me, very black and white. It's the pastors and the missionaries that do the work of God, and the rest of us were kind of like sub-Christian or something like that. That was what was in my mind. And I didn't like that, but I said to myself, well, if my pastor says that I gotta take it seriously, so I prayed about it. And as I prayed about it, I realized, okay, let's give it a shot. That's why, I eventually, dis- I was like, okay, I'll finish off my seminary degree, and then I'll, I guess I'll try a master's in social psychology, advertising. And after that, I'm like, ah, I guess I'll try a doctorate. And just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> and every step of the way, God blessed it. I'll tell you this right now. I, I did my PhD in four years while working full-time and having a new child, two, two new kids, right? If you know anything about academia, you don't do that. And I didn't, God did it. I, I really believe that. I really believe that. So fast forward to now, I work as an accountancy professor. I know nothing about accountancy. I, I just started, this is a whole other story, I just started a data science startup company. Um, and here's the thing, I do quite well financially. You know, I'm, not, I'm not bragging, I'm just like telling you straight up. My family lives well. We have excess money every month. But I try to remind myself every day what the real treasure is. What I'm really living for. I miss living on that dirty floor. My 150 a month apartment, I had no bed. I slept on the floor, we had a cockroach problem. And I remember every time they would spray, for cockroaches and I'd wake up in the morning, they come out at night and then they die like a silhouette around me, like one of those like, you know, crime scenes. But I didn't care because my heart was on fire for the Lord. But now I live in a, I don't live in a baller house but I live in a house, it's pretty nice. I don't have a cockroach problem at all. (laughs) But I have to remind myself I'm a missionary I'm a full-time missionary, but just nobody knows. Nobody supports me. God supports me. And I'm a missionary to academia, and I'll tell you right now, academia needs missionaries. I'm a missionary to my youth group, and I'm a missionary to my field of computational algorithmic advertising. If there's ever a field right now that really is driving the progress of AI, and what's happening with our society it's actually advertising as much as people think oh advertising whatever it's it's driving our future technologically and i believe god has called me to be a missionary in this realm my dream as a child was to be a crazy rich asian but my dream is to be a sound, very corny but to be a heavenly rich christian my dream is to see a generation rise up that lives not for the treasures of this earth and many of us again i know that not everybody here is asian so i apologize but That's just the only framework I know that as I grew up, that we were driven so much for earthly success. And I'm telling you right now that that is not what the Bible says, but it says, it does not say that we should then not live for earthly success because I think I am getting pretty successful on this earth. But what the Bible says is whatever success that we have in this earth, and we are supposed to maximize what God has given us with regards to our talents and our capabilities and our resources, but we're not to use them for ourselves and our own treasures, but we are to use them for the kingdom of God. Because what we treasure defines who we serve, and who we serve defines our eternity, like what happens to our world. And I'm sorry I'm going long, but I want to finish with one more thought. I realize more and more now why God has called me to this role. It is primarily for my youth group students. 15 years. My first students are now married with kids. And it's for my youth group students to see at least one example, and I pray there will be more, of something different. And I say this as a challenge to you all, as a I'm not a pastor, I am just like you. To see a layperson serving the church like a pastor does, while working another full-time job and taking care of my family. I give my heart to my family. To my kids but here's the thing my youth group students are also my kids you know when I was growing up part of the reason I left the church was because in my four years or five years of youth group or whatever I left youth group but when I started driving I didn't go to church anymore it's because we had like five youth pastors and I was just like dude I'm not going to trust these people that just come in and out and it was like youth ministry was like a stepping stone to becoming a senior pastor somewhere and when I got to youth ministry I'm like I'm not going to do that I remember when I first started youth ministry I told them hey I'm going to see when you graduate. They're sixth graders. I'm like, I'm going to literally be there when you graduate from high school at your graduation ceremony because many of these kids were dropped off from Korea. Their parents were in Korea. I was their parent. And I've done that for many generations. And I'm not a vocational pastor. I'm a layperson with my own family, with my own career. I thank God has called me to this role so that my youth group students could see me excel at school. I was the best in my class. Again, I'm not saying this to promote myself. I'm just saying that we as Christians, we got to be like Daniel in the Bible, like Lydia, like Mary, like so many of these people. When I was top in my master's program, I was in my, my top in my doctoral program. And yet, to have my youth group students see me sacrifice my career over and over again, which I have. I have had so many job offers to leave Champaign-Urbana, but I have declined every single one of them. Why? Because I know God has called me, Champaign-Urbana to my youth and I have no expectation that that will pay off before any of this happened that's happening right now absolutely no expectation that it was going to pay off I think God has called me to this role for my youth group students to see that God still blessed my career in weird ways where now some people say like wow you made the best decisions you're so wise I'm like dude you have no idea I don't know what I'm doing I think God has called me in this role for my youth group students to see me learn, I'm still trying to learn, how to live with excess money in a way that doesn't live at capacity of what that money could bring. But rather to live as reasonably as possible. I I bought a a new Honda Civic like a year year ago or something like that because, you know, I I could have bought a BMW, okay? (laughs) But I bought a Honda Civic. But you know what's funny about like church people? like, but man, that Honda Civic has some pretty nice rims. It's like, come on, man. Like, like, what's the standard, right? Like, what do you want me to buy? Like, a Honda bicycle? You know, I don't, like, I, come on, man, right? So, all, and this is just a side you note. Know, like, all of us judging each other as to how we live, like, no, it's before God, right? It's the motivations of our hearts. But, but, but we know, God knows in our hearts. You know, we're not, like, trying to live here. We're just trying to live what, with what is necessary, so that we can release our extra, if it's money or other resources or time, we can release this to serve the church. And that's what I try to do. My savings account is the kingdom of God. I mean, I have a retirement plan, but it's only because the school forces me to put money into the pension plan, which I don't think is gonna exist in the future. But anyways, right? I think God has called me into this role for my youth group students to see me striving to find my peace and hope, not in this world, but in the coming kingdom. And lastly, I think God has called me into this role for my youth group students to see me yearn to see my youth students and young adults. And again, I'm sorry to keep saying this, but there's something about Asian Americans. (laughs) I think partially because we are like the, I forgot, I'm momentarily forgetting the term, but like, you know, we're the nice people, (laughs) right? But yet, like, we kind of get along with everybody, every race, maybe. I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to make some kind of preposterous statement here. But what I'm saying is maybe God made it that way because of the impact that He wants to ha- us to have on this earth if we choose not to live for what was ingrained within us, which is to live for ourselves and for our own comfort and our own riches, but rather to use the influence that we could have to change the world. What we. Treasure defines who we serve, and who we serve defines our eternity. And may I add, this is something that I'm passionate about, some of the reason why I go around, and, I mean, this was different, but most of the time I'm spending time away from my family, which I hate to do. But I do this because I believe if we choose to treasure not this earth, but we treasure the kingdom of God, it will change our society, and it will change this earth. Let's pray. Before we close, um, if we could just, as we bow our heads, if I could just ask you to consider a simple question as we pray, and, and it's simply this, and again, I'm not speaking down at you because I am no different than you. I am more sinful than you. I struggle with the same things you do. I'm, Again, I mean, I'm not trying to say pastors are these super different people, but I'm just trying to say that I, I'm not a pastor, so like I'm, I live the work life. I've I've done the study life. I understand it's hard and life is really hard. But I'm telling you right now when what you treasure is God, then it changes everything in life in a way that gives us peace and hope, joy amidst suffering, gives us purpose, it gives us wings. So the simple question that I ask us all, including myself, is what do we treasure? What do we treasure? Maybe we can pray about that for a little bit until we close in in worship.
0: Father, we thank you for your word for us. We thank you that uh, you speak to us and challenge us out of your love for us, calling us to live for your kingdom. pray that you administer your word into our hearts and um, may it affect our lives the way that we choose to live our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll close in prayer. Uh, we'll just pray uh, concerning some of the things that we heard. And uh, I just want to ask you to pray that God will help you to. Uh, so, so I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm not just asking you to pray that God will help you to live for the kingdom. Because what does that really mean, right? When we say God will help us to live for the kingdom. God, I, I want to live for the kingdom. But that God will help you to raise the standard of what it means to live for the kingdom. And to be honest with you, like, even as I'm saying this, like, as a pastor, I have to be careful about my words so I don't offend the people in the church and things like that. So that's why I'm grateful for people like Ted coming here and sharing things with us. But um, to be honest with you, like, that's what we lack um, in our church and in just uh, uh, Christian circles as a whole. Right? Like we have a lot of pastors who preach um, the Bible. right? Um, but there, a lot of times there's a lack of lay workers who um, have that kind of mindset of this is what it means to live following Christ and really exemplify that standard in their lives. Uh, and so that's why I'm thankful for people like Tech and Dr. Sang that came to us a couple of years ago to share their lives and how they're trying to live for the kingdom uh, following this, the biblical standard. Um, and, uh, I want to ask you to pray for that, that God would help us to raise a standard. A lot of times, like even as we try to encourage and motivate people to, to raise a standard, there's a lot of pushback, you know? Um, oh, I feel judged when I don't come to meetings. or um, oh, you're, there's like this pressure to come out and pray, and raise the level of prayer, and um, what about when I have kids, and it gets busier, like, don't you understand that, and I have a full-time job, and um, and to be honest with you, it's really difficult for me as a pastor to help people live to a higher standard, and so I want to ask you to pray that God will help you with his word to help you to live for a higher standard of what it means to live for the kingdom of God, knowing that by the power of the spirit that is given you, you're capable of so much more. Okay? Um, <laughs> you know, so much more to, to give of not only your finances, but to give of your heart to things, uh, kingdom things, other than myself things. Okay? And so I want to ask you to really pray for that. You'll discuss it in small group this week. I want to ask you to think about that and really raise the standard of what it means to live for that. And I'm, I'm, and I'm praying for lay workers that'll model that in our church because that's something that i can't do i'm praying that god will raise up lay workers that'll model that that'll take us into the the second decade of our church because as people are getting older and older and older uh, we need people like that that just you know don't settle for the norm but we need people we need young adults we need families um, that other people in the church can look at and say and say like, that's what it means to live for christ So let's pray for that for a moment, and I'll close this in prayer and benediction. Father, once again, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that while we're sinners, choosing to live for ourselves, you, out of your great love, sent Jesus to die for us. Cross, We thank you that with um, that precious gospel truth comes a new reality of what it means to live our lives, not for ourselves, but for the kingdom of God. And we pray that your spirit would help us to digest that in a way that affects every aspect of our lives, how we spend our time, how we go about our relationships, how we choose to make decisions concerning the future. Pray that it would affect every aspect of our lives so that our our retirement plan would not be in this world accumulating numbers, but it would be a heavenly thing. It would be an eternal thing. It would be something that brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ alone. Thank you, Lord for your great love for us and the call to live for something that is eternal, something that will last for eternity. desire is to love you, to treasure Christ above anything else so that our lives, this one life that you give us in this world, would matter for eternity. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unfathomable covenant love of the Father God fellowship and the strength, the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever. Amen.